Well, good morning, everybody. Our Bible reading is John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It's verses 1 to 6, and then verses 7 to 44, and you can find that in your Bibles or in your worship guides. And let me just invite you to turn there and put your Bibles in your laps or hold your worship guides open, because we'll be referring to those, that text uh, during the message. Let me pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us on our own, but for sending your Son who came and died and rose again and was seen by many and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming again. We come in praise of the Lord Jesus, and we pray now that we would see him and know him through this morning's reading. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So follow along with me. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So next, Jesus has an interchange with his disciples. Now we're going to skip down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. She said. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid down? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, 
See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the great clothes and let him go. The word of the Lord. Amen. Life is difficult. Those are the beginning words of, uh, and I remember them well, from M. Scott Peck's book, A Road Less Travel. I remember resonating with them years ago. And Peck goes on to write that uh, life is difficult for everybody, but not everybody knows it or experiences life the same way. So I wonder as you come in here today, uh, how would you say that your life is going How do you feel about your life? Has your life worked out as well as you thought it was going to work out? Paul David Tripp in our Lenten devotional says that every human being is looking for paradise. And so we look for paradise in our work, in our homes, in our jobs, in our friends. But the problem is, is we don't have paradise yet. And so we're restless. So much of ordinary life uh, is wrapped up in the routine. So we go, you know, we get up in the morning, we go to work, uh, we pay the bills, and we try to keep up. But there's, a, there's something missing, and so there's a yearning inside. And it's the yearning that we feel uh, maybe when we listen to a beautiful piece of music, or when we fall in love, or maybe when we see a sunset. There's this emptiness. And... Peter Crave says that there's a nightingale inside of all of us crying out for its bird seed. And so I think oftentimes we come uh, maybe into a Christian church, and sometimes I think that we experience Christianity as a little bit triumphalistic. We, it promises a type of life that some of you are just not experiencing. And so maybe you come and you're disappointed and you're discouraged and you're feeling a little empty. See, the problem is uh, culture tells us that we have to find life on our own. We have to come up with our own strategy for making life work. And yet so many of us have uh, been unable to fill our lives. And so we find uh, that we're trying to fill our lives, but there's something missing. There's something restless in us. We're still yearning for more. That little nightingale is still crying out for its bird seed inside of us. You know, it's funny, in all of my years of ministry, I've never had anyone come to me and say, you know, Nelson, um, I, found, I found myself, I found all the love, joy, and peace that I would ever want. Nobody has ever come to me and said that. 
And I think the reason is, is that we're always sort of yearning for more life than we have now. Well, if you've been around, you know that our Lenten series is called Life Changing. And we just read, uh, it's from the book of John. We're joining churches around the globe. Reformed churches, uh, the lectionary reading this year during Lent is the book of John. And so we're joining our sister churches around the globe. And today's reading is this one from John 11. And today's reading was the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life from the dead. It's a miracle of new life, of more life. Now recall John's purpose for his book. And I've asked you to memorize this, but it's from John 20, verse 31. So Jesus says he didn't record, uh, or John says he didn't record every miracle and event he saw Jesus involved in. But he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what's the word? Life in his name. So John is taking a beeline for this thing, uh, this thing that we long for, this life. He's making a beeline for life. And you need to know that whenever John talks about life, he has this special underlying word for life. He makes a distinction. John introduces us this special word for life called zoe. And so zoe life um, is very different from what we normally think of about life. There's a contrasting life, and that life is bios. So bios is the life that always runs down. It's the life that decays and dies. We know this kind of life. You know, paint chips, clothes wear out, bodies age. Nobody lives forever. That's the bios life. And so we're looking for life in the midst of bios. But John wants to introduce, it's sort of like, ta-da, introducing this new kind of life. And it's the zoe life. And the zoe life is the life God gives. This life does not run down. This life does not die. And so people are asking for more life. And what we're thinking about is the bios life. And John wants to jerk us by the collar over and say, there's a different kind of life. It's the divine life given to you. And I'm about to tell you more about it. So we return to today's reading. And so we've got this story, and some of you know the story, but let's return to it. So let's just look back at what we were looking at there in John 11. Jesus receives news that Lazarus is very sick, Lazarus had two sisters named Martha and Mary. And so these siblings were among Jesus' closest friends. And I just picture that when he was like a little bit, he needed a little bit of refresher from all the demands of ministry, he might go to Bethany and hang out with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They were like family to him. And so that's sort of the relationship here. So in verse 6, it says, When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days, which sounds odd. But remember from verse 4 that Jesus said uh, he's working a greater purpose for God's glory. So we're trying to learn God's wider vision here. So eventually Jesus sets out to Lazarus, but it seems like he's too late. So now we're down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So now, you know, before Lazarus was sick, now Lazarus is dead. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's too late. 
And Jesus still has not arrived in Bethany where Lazarus was. Actually, Martha has gone out to meet him on the road. And why this detail in verse 17 about the four days? Dale Bruner says that the Jews understood that a person's soul left their body after three days. And so this is sort of like the three days plus one. The point was that Lazarus was dead. He was good and dead. He wasn't just about to be dead. He wasn't almost dead. He wasn't approaching death. He was good and dead. He was stone cold dead because he had been in the tomb for four days. And that's what John is trying to demonstrate to the Jews. So this was important to what was about to happen next. So Martha and Jesus have a conversation and Martha assures Jesus I'm sorry, Jesus assures Martha. She says, and this is verse 23, look at it with me. Your brother will rise again. Well, Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection, at the last day. So Martha is referring to here that something that the Jews held, that there was a final day of judgment when every person will rise from the grave and stand before the living God. She's referring to a final day in the future. But Jesus says to her, and these are the most sort of potent verses in the, in the reading. Verse 25, he says to her, and you know these words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. These are the I am statements of Jesus. He was claiming to be God. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. And then he says to Martha, do you believe this? Now, so Jesus, so we know what's about to happen. Uh, Jesus is about to raise a guy from the dead. But we know in John that miracles are signs. The point of the miracles is not the miracles. The point of the small miracle is to point to the greater miracle. So the small miracle is about, is about what Jesus is about to do with Lazarus. But the greater miracle is what he's speaking about now. And it's his resurrection. So what Jesus is doing is he's interpreting Easter before it happens. So he's saying to Martha, in essence, yeah, listen, Martha, I know Lazarus is dead. I know this is a terrible tragedy that has happened to your brother, and I love him too. And I know Lazarus is dead, but I'm about to show you something. You think death is one thing, but I'm going to, show you, I'm going to change death into life. I'm going to do something that you've never seen. And I'm going to reveal myself to you in a way that you've never seen me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take dead aim at death and I'm going to change it into life. And so you have to just let these things sink in. And it does relate to our own death. So literally what Jesus says there is he says, I know when someone dies, you're used to them, well, dying. Um, But now I'm telling you, when you believe in me, you die. So it sounds like doublespeak, but you don't die. When you die, you don't really die. I know you die, but you don't die. It looks like you're dead, but you haven't really died. That's what Jesus is saying here to Martha. He's saying, I'm just changing the character of this thing altogether. And it is very hard to sink in. He's changing death into life. So back to the story. So that's the, that's the preview meaning. But back to the story, Martha and Jesus still haven't arrived in Bethany. Martha goes back and gets Mary. Remember, she's back at home. Verse 32, and this is a very human moment. Mary comes out to Jesus on the road and falls at his feet. So Mary appears to me to be the emotional one. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews also were weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. And this is that famous verse, Jesus wept. But I never noticed before. Do you see, he's not just weeping. He's not just weeping for his friend, but he's joining in the mourning of all these other people. Do you see that? Mary is weeping. The other people are weeping. And Jesus is joining in their grief. It's a very human moment. I think a lot of times Christians don't know what to think about death. So we'll say, oh, well, such and such, you know, died and they're in a better place, which is true. But Jesus doesn't really seem to rush to that. And so we're learning really about death. You know, the Apostle Paul says death is an enemy, the last enemy to be destroyed. And so Jesus is mourning and grieving and he's weeping and they're all weeping over the loss of Lazarus. It's a very human moment. And I think it's permission giving to us. We don't grieve as those who are without hope, but we do grieve. So finally, verse 38, to finish it out, Jesus once more deeply moves. So finally, he comes to the tomb. Uh, it was a cave with a stone entrance laid, a stone laid across the entrance. And so Jesus says, take away the stone. Jesus prays to the Father, and then he says in a loud voice, and B.B. Warfield, uh, the great old Presbyterian minister, I love what he says. He says, do not picture Jesus being meek and mild here. He was like a snorting horse, Warfield says, roaring out of the gates and attacking death as if to say, I hate death. I am the life. So this is, you know, an enormous paradigm shift, and I picture you know, what's about to happen is I picture it as a rewebbing of the invisible world. You know, there's, there's a structure to the invisible world, and that structure says that sin eventuates in death. But Jesus is rewebbing that, and he is saying, I'm about to conquer death, and I'm about to bring new life. So the dead man came out. <laughs> Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. He said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave claws and let him go. So I picture here as the grave claws come off, I think what we're meant, John wants us to feel and what he wants us to see uh, is the release really of humanity from bondage to sin and death. We need both, don't we? We need a solution to sin, but we also need a solution to death. If Jesus left us, relieved our misery related to sin, but not our misery related to death, then we would only be part of the way there. But he relieved our misery to sin on the cross, and now he is pointing to relieving our misery to death. Because not long... After this miracle of raising Lazarus, Jesus does voluntarily go to his death on a Roman cross. And we're just a short while from that because John 11 is John 11 and John 12 is Palm Sunday. So we're just about into the last week of Jesus' life. So it's almost like this is the climax. This is the culmination. And now the thing is about to play out. So Christians, um, you may be here and you thought Christians uh, were all about doctrine or the teaching of Jesus. 
Christians build, we build our faith on the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what we believe is that Jesus would go on uh, to die for our sins. He would die in our place. He would be an expression of the love of the Father. He would pay our penalty for sin. But not only that, he would take on this thing called death. So he goes into the tomb. Jesus went into the tomb, and he was there for three days. And when he went into the tomb, everybody was wailing and mourning and grieving because they thought all was lost, just like it was with Lazarus. But even more triumphantly, triumphantly than with Lazarus, um, you know, everybody thought, uh, so he was there for three days. And the point with Jesus, too, was that he wasn't just sort of dead or maybe dead. He was long dead. And then all of a sudden, some people go and see. And the grave cloths couldn't hold Jesus either. So John describes it. It's almost as if Jesus' body evaporated right through the grave cloths that were lying there on the stone sepulcher. It's almost as if the angels were saying, take those grave cloths off of him. But what happened here was so much greater. See, Lazarus' uh, raising was merely a resuscitation. But the smaller miracle was a sign of the greater miracle, the resurrection, which was unparalleled in human history. And Jesus' resurrection wasn't just for him. But the Apostle Paul would say it was the first fruits of many resurrections for all who believe in him. This was the beginning of the Zoe life offered to fallen sinful humanity. Do you get it? This was the breakthrough. This was the inbreaking. We've all lived the bios life, but the Zoe life is now being offered through faith to sinful human people like you and me. So we're back to John's purpose statement, and I love it, and I, I have tried to memorize it, and I think it's worth memorizing for the rest of you. You know, again, um, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we've been saying that this idea of belief for John is not, um, John rarely uses, he never uses the, the noun belief. It's always the verb. And then the idea is believe into. So it's a process. And it's also union. John is the one related to faith who said, who gives that Jesus words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason is John is all about union. Faith means you are joined to Jesus. You are joined in living union to the ascended Christ. And John believes that when this happens, you are joined to his very life. And so, um, you know, friends, this is good news. Um, the good news of Lent is not just the good news of Jesus' death to atone for our sins, but the good news of Lent is we are looking ahead through miracle stories like this to how our risen Lord uh, conquers death and gives us life forevermore. Uh, so the point is, God's grace is extended to you and me. Um, you have an opportunity to believe, and I invite all of you, um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, put the full weight of your trust in Jesus, but he offers himself. Uh, he came that you might have life and have it abundantly, as John 10.10 10 says. And so he offers himself, and he says, 
I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to believe. So the point is, we all have our strategies for trying to fill our lives. You know, we're creating our, we're trying to create our paradise through our children and our friends and our work. But the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead reminds us that the life we long for is in believing into our risen Savior. So during Lent, um, I've been commending practices to you. And so I've commended daily devotional reading and Bible reading and prayer and confession and also weekly fasting. Well, I want to commend one more to you this morning, and that is um, a type of repentance, and it's a repentance unto life. You know, isn't it true that when we begin to feel empty and when we struggle and we're disappointed and discouraged with life, we tend to try to take matters into our own hands. We muscle up and muscle through, and we try. um, But we all uh, try to manufacture the answer to the life that we seek. And I think there's a very simple Lenten practice that this text invites us to, and I'm calling it repentance unto life. And it's this. Instead of taking matters into our own hands to find the life we want, we're trusting into the life of Jesus. So the, the spiritual act is you get into these moments and things are very difficult and you're struggling and you're wondering how your life is going to turn out and you stop and you just begin to trust. See, trust is a muscle. You begin to believe into the risen Jesus and then you just watch. You begin to watch and you let go and you surrender your life And you believe that there is a life that is in you through faith that is bigger and more powerful than you ever knew about or dreamed of. And you begin to watch and you begin to see what unfolds in your life in a way that you never imagined. See, at the end of Lent uh, is your death and my death as well. We die to our own strategies for making life work apart from the Savior. The Apostle Paul wrote... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that not good news, friends? So this is the invitation. It's to believe into the life. It's repentance unto life. Not our self-made strategies, but unto the life of the Savior who's changed death into life, and he he offers that invitation to you and to me. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we trust that the empty tomb stands as the eternal promise that you will always finish what you have begun in us and for us. We thank you that you did not leave us in our misery to either sin or death. And we thank you for the invitation to share your divine life. And I pray that many here would receive you today by believing into the one who gave his life. And in whose name we pray. Amen.